For the first time ever, gravitational waves have been detected directly. News of the discovery made some waves of its own last week, and just like space-time near a 30 solar mass black hole, some facts have been a little bit distorted in all the excitement. I'm Meg Rosenberg, and today we're targeting a few points of confusion in the wake of LIGO's massive announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, we have detected gravitational waves. We did it. On February 11th, 2016, the world found out what some scientists have known for months. Gravitational waves are real. The announcement that LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, had picked up the clear and unmistakable signature of two black holes merging 1.3 billion light years away set off a media frenzy. Everyone's excited about gravitational waves. But I couldn't help but notice that some points, which are genuinely difficult to understand, never mind explain, are also getting a bit confused in the public conversation. Small. Nobody ever thought it could be detected. The sound was detected on September 4th. Einstein was right. Something nearly impossible. They confirm that gravity is the force of mass causing space. The purpose space. of these waves. What are they? Why are they the there? That story, we have to say up front, may make your brain hurt just a little bit. I know it did it to me. <laughs> what happens in space yeah. is there's this stuff that moves around a lot. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> essentially, I haven't a clue. What's okay, that? fine. No, yeah. that's what but, I but it's, But it's theory much. relativity, and it's about listening to space rather than Yeah, listen, exactly. that's very tough. First up, let's talk analogies. How does LIGO detect gravitational waves? And how can we relate that to a sensory experience that gives the public some sort of intuition about it? One often used analogy is hearing. In a way, we listen for black holes as opposed to looking for them. With electromagnetic radiation, we're seeing the universe with our eyes. And so we can visualize eyes across the entire electromagnetic spectrum, radio, infrared, visible, ultraviolet, x-ray, gamma rays. With gravitational waves, it's like we're hearing the universe for the first time. You can think of the two detectors in Livingston and Hanford as like your two ears. They're omnidirectional. You put two ears together, you can sort of figure out where the signal might be coming from. If you had more microphones or more ears around the room, you could do a better job of locating these signals. But it's basically an entire new field of astronomy. Lynn Kaminsky is a professor and chair of the physics department at Sonoma State University and part of the LIGO collaboration, and she recently joined Physics Central for a live chat following the announcement. She's comparing detecting gravitational waves to listening for sound with your two ears, one on each side of your head, because we're pretty good at figuring out from the properties and timing of the sound waves each ear receives where in space the source of the sound must be. And there's another reason why hearing is a natural analogy. The frequencies of the gravitational waves we're looking for happen to lie in the same range as the frequencies of sound waves our ears are sensitive to. The type of wave is completely different, the medium is completely different, but the frequencies are the same. So we can translate that signature of a black hole merger into a sound, the now famous chirp. Whoop. That's the chirp we've been looking for. 
But you have to be a little careful with this analogy, because even though we can listen to what the detectors found, the detectors themselves didn't hear gravitational waves. Driving back from the LIGO laboratory in Windy Hanford, Washington, I recently got a chance to ask Caltech professor Rana Adhikari about this analogy and what it is we're actually doing when we look for gravitational waves. The laser interferometers that we have um, measure the vibration of space and um, the question of whether the gravitational radiation is more like sound or light, it's radiation. And so it's not really like sound. Um, sound is a real pressure wave in space. And um, just like an electromagnetic wave, it's an oscillation of the electric field. Gravitational wave, there's no extra field there. It's just a distortion in uh, space itself and how we would measure distance in space. And so the reason um, a lot of people say it's sort of like hearing the sound of black holes is um, the vibrations that LIGO is sensitive to happen to be at the same frequency as the audio waves that our ears are sensitive to. And so if you take the LIGO signals, which are electronic, and you play it through a speaker like in your laptop, you can hear the sound. So you're converting the gravitational wave signal, which has already been converted from space-time fluctuation into a voltage. You're converting that into sound waves with your computer. Thinking about it another way, the LIGO detectors are sort of feeling for gravitational waves as much or more than listening. So if you can imagine the lights are out, you're on a floaty thing in a pool where the water is free to wave around, and you stick your hands in the water on both sides. That's like the two LIGO detectors. And now you feel some waving in the water, which in our analogy is the waves in space, the stretching of space. The feelings you get in your hands are like the signals of the LIGO detectors. And trying to reconstruct um, where the source came from in the sky, you can imagine how hard it is if you just have two hands. Um, you can tell the time delay between the waves in your two hands, but and that'll tell you some rough measure of the direction, but it's not nearly as good as having eyes where you can really, really pinpoint where a source came from. So it's not really a sound in space, but it's a vibration which is different from uh, electromagnetic waves and optical telescopes. And so the analogy that sound to light, it's not so far off. It's something which is related to light, but is not the same. And so it is another sense and another way for us to measure the universe. And we pick these analogies because you know, you have to sort of try to grasp new phenomenon by, by analogy, but it's just a completely different way of viewing the universe. And there's no, uh, there's no sense that you can appeal to because um, humans don't have a space-time sensing uh, sense. So you can't say it's like taste. It's not like tasting the universe. It's not like smelling the universe. Um, I guess sound and touch are the closest but neither one really does it justice. 
So we don't literally hear gravitational waves, although we can convert their signature into an audio clip. Another headline that's cropped up quite a bit since the detection was announced goes something like, Einstein was right. This proves general relativity. We did it. We're done. And it's easy to think that this first detection really does mean all those things. I mean, it does mean that Einstein was right in predicting the existence of gravitational waves. This is the last major untested prediction of Einstein's general theory of relativity. So he published this almost exactly 100 years ago today. So it's taken 100 years for the technology to evolve to the point where we can now actually directly detect gravitational waves. But Einstein's theory of general relativity itself was never endangered by the success or failure of LIGO to detect gravitational waves. Many, many other predictions that it makes have already been validated again and again. When Einstein first came out with his general theory of relativity, the first thing he noticed was the precession of Mercury's orbit. Now, the planet Mercury does not have a perfectly circular orbit around the sun. It's a little bit of an ellipse. And so the axis of that ellipse changes a little bit with time. And when using Newtonian gravity, calculating how much the precession should be, people got the wrong answer. So when Einstein was working out his theory, his theory immediately gave the right answer. So he knew he was onto something good. In 1919, astronomer Arthur Eddington recorded the positions of stars near the sun during a solar eclipse, and showed that the starlight had been deflected on its way to Earth by the effect of the massive sun on the space-time around it. GPS satellites, which I use just about every day, have to account for general relativity to give you an accurate position. Einstein saw that a consequence of his theory was the existence of gravitational waves, and until now, that was just the last unfulfilled prediction of a very successful and accepted theory. But that's not the interesting part. We've had one detection, but we are by no means done. We're just getting started. When you find something in astronomy, there's a lot more of them out there, different sizes, different shapes, different orientations, different spin rates. And so this really is the birth of a new field and there'll be many more exciting discoveries to come. In fact, things people haven't even imagined would be making gravitational waves I'm sure will now be discovered. There are all these possibilities for probing new sources and understanding these very extreme astrophysical objects in an unprecedented way. But even beyond that, it's an exciting time because we might for the first time have a chance to see where general relativity doesn't hold. Einstein was right that gravitational waves exist, among many other things, but that doesn't mean that his theory of gravity won't be refined if we find that it doesn't quite match what we see in these extreme environments. We don't know, and that's pretty exciting. The interesting thing happens when, it, when the theory breaks down, and you start to test some of these phenomena in a region where um, the theory has never been tested, and uh, it's very far from the region uh, where it has been tested. And so for uh, Einstein's theory, general relativity, we, we know with extremely high confidence that it's correct uh, on Earth and in nearby space and in the solar system and um, the expansion of the universe and the galaxy. So it's really successful wherever gravity is weak say weak um, because you know gravity on earth it feels strong because things fall down and uh, you know 
things are heavy, so it feels like it's strong. But the gravity on the near the surface of a black hole is so strong that uh, you know the light gets bent around it. It's it's too much gravity even for light to escape. It's it's so unimaginably strong. There's no good analogy for it. We don't have any way of uh, imagining gravity so strong. And because it's never been tested in the strong uh, regime, that's the place where we think it might break down. Just as Einstein's general relativity encompasses Newtonian physics and goes beyond it to explain other phenomena, like the perihelion shift of Mercury and the bending of light around the Sun, any new theory of gravity will have to match general relativity in the weak gravity regime, while also accounting for new observations in the strong gravity regime. And by breaking down, we mean it's not that the, the theory is totally correct, but that eventually when the gravitational field gets high enough, uh, it may be that um, new, new physics comes to light and there could be all kinds of uh, explosions or new energy fields or quantum phenomenon at the horizon of a coal so that the event horizon doesn't look like a, a placid, uh, continuous regime where we go from uh, visible to invisible. It might be place where there's all kinds of roiling, explosive energy going on all the time. And since we have no way to get uh, an astronaut to the edge of a black hole to take a photo, uh, the only thing that we know how to do is look in detail at the uh, gravitational waves from a black hole merger. And as we improve our instrument, we'll get better and better uh, probes of what's really, really going on at the event horizon and what I hope, hope, expect, guess one of those three uh, is that eventually we'll get our detector good enough and there'll be a black hole merger loud enough that we'll start to see the first hints of the new theory behind, uh, beyond Einstein's relativity. So yes, Einstein was right. But we might find out soon that his theory is wrong, or more like incomplete, now that we can detect gravitational waves. One more media preoccupation has to do with these black holes themselves. Headlines seem to fixate on the dance of death they executed, spiraling into each other over millions and millions of years. But ask a physicist about it, and death is just about the last thing that events like this bring to mind. You know, when um, ancient Chinese astronomers, Tycho Brahe, first witness a supernova, um, they thought it was like a new star being born. And, I don't know, born, death, whatever, but, you know, in a supernova, there's such a high-energy explosion going on that new elements are created and seeded all across the galaxy. And that, um, for humans, is very critical. Without the creation of those heavy elements, there's no way we would have human civilization. So for neutron star mergers, it may very well be a similar thing, but neutron stars merging, um, it's such an energetic event that uh, it may be another one of these critical ways that, that heavy elements are produced, giving, you know, leading eventually to life in, in the galaxy or in the universe. Um, 
for black hole mergers, it's it's even more abstract. Black holes are really there's no structure to them. It's just a geometry. So there's these two perfectly geometrical holes in space, which have no mucky atoms or structure or hair or fluff. They're just two things of geometry in space whirling around for millions and millions of years. And for most of that time, nothing's going on. And it's so exceptional to be able to witness the end of something like that. So the spinning goes on and on forever and ever. And then, you know, this last hundred milliseconds uh, of this binary pair, they finally merge. And there's this huge release of energy and we witness them. It's an exciting time to be alive. And this is just the beginning. We say that gravitational wave astronomy is officially born on September 14th, 2015, <laughs> the day that LIGO got the first signals. And we look forward to many, many more sources, many more discoveries. Anytime you open a new branch of astronomy, you detect things that people never even imagined. You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Meg Rosenberg, and you can read more about LIGO's detection and what it means on our website, physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com.